You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Genesis 20 is where we're going to be this morning. Genesis 20, and, and as you turn and find it, if you would stand... Genesis 20, and we're going to stand out of the honor and respect of reading God's word here. Genesis 20, uh, we spent a couple weeks in the life of Lot and looked at all the disasters of his choices. And the last couple of of lessons or messages out of Genesis um, have been hard because of just how bad Lot's choices were. And so in my mind, I was thinking, okay, we can finally focus on Abraham again and the man of faith, it's going to be good and And then I read Genesis 20 and I thought, great, this is one of Abraham's low points. And I was ready to be encouraged this morning and and yet Abraham has a lapse in faith. And we'll see that as we go through Genesis 20. And it says in verse 1, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife... She is my sister. Does that sound familiar, by the way? This has happened before. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. And But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself, said he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. I hope you're paying attention just so the story makes sense. Abraham tells Abimelech that Sarah is his sister. Abimelech takes Sarah to be his wife. And then God comes to Abimelech and says, thou art a dead man. Because she is another man's wife. And he said, I didn't know. Look at verse 6. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning, And called all his servants and told all these things in their ears. And the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee that thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that that thou ought not to be done. Sorry, thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, and that's an important question, by the way, what were you looking at? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. And yet indeed she she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come. 
say of me, he is my brother. So you see, they had a plan in place. Everywhere they went, this was the story. This was the party line. Verse 14. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants and women servants and gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a covering of the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. It sounds familiar. You know, Genesis 12, this exact same thing happened. Abraham and Sarah went down to Egypt that time. And they told, they told everyone that Sarah was his sister. Uh, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, took Sarah to be his wife and it backfired. Well, right now we're back at it. We're right back in the same pattern of thinking. And it's clear that Abraham had a pattern of not trusting God in this area of his life. And as, a, as disappointing as it is to do it again, it's also a reflection of how we can be. You see, all of us have certain areas in our own lives in which we struggle to trust God. We all have areas in our lives in that, that are our constant pattern of, of not trusting the Lord to take care of them. And, the, and our, the problem is our solutions are not as good as God's. And so we try to fix these areas, but it never turns out the way we want it to. And I'm calling the message this morning a faulty fallback. A faulty fallback. A fallback plan is a plan that you go to in case of an emergency. And life is full of emergencies, isn't it? But listen, if you are trusting in yourself to have the solution, it will always be a faulty fallback. And this morning, I want to see some lessons that we can learn from this when we try to do things in our own strength instead of God. And we're always bound for trouble when that happens. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the word. Thank you for the reading of it. Do pray that you'd bless it and pray that you'd help our time together to be profitable. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Genesis 20 is a time of transition for Abraham. Uh, and the, first of all, we know that the time of Isaac's birth is coming. So uh, in just a couple chapters before, in Genesis chapter 17, God was talking to Abraham and he had told him at this time in the next year, you will have a son. And so some time has lapsed or passed since then and, and Isaac is about to be born and you think that Abraham and Sarah, they know that it's coming, that, trend, that, that promise is about to come true, that Abraham was about to be the father of a nation that will bless all the families of the earth. It's a big deal what's about to happen. But it's also a transition in that Abraham and Sarah have moved again. What's interesting is if you read about Abraham's life, you find that he never settled anywhere. This man who was supposed to be the father of, of a nation that would bless all nations never had a home. He was a nomad his whole life. And moving around wasn't new for him. And, and Sarah, they had moved a lot. But in this move, then uh, God reveals a major flaw to a in Abraham's character. And I love the way that God works because it, it is very often in times of transition 
that God reveals things to us about ourselves that we wouldn't see otherwise. Times of transition are very often times of learning and exposure. Now, for instance, if you're in a routine and every day you've got the same pattern, you've got the same routine, you get up, you read your Bible, you pray, you eat breakfast, you go to work, you come home, you turn the lights off at a certain time, and you wake up the next day, you've got a routine. But anybody ever noticed, though, that when you go on vacation and you don't have a routine, some of the things that are easy to do in a routine, like read your Bible and pray, suddenly they're a little bit harder. Because transitions reveal flaws in us. And the same exact thing is happening for Abraham and Sarah. And what I love about it is that God allows his flaw to be revealed, not to beat him over the head about it, but so that it can be fixed. Because God is about to do something with Abraham that, is, that he had promised for, for years and years to do with Abraham. He's preparing Abraham for what he's supposed to do. And before Abraham can be the father of this nation through which the families of the earth would be blessed, God had to root out a source of sin in his heart. There was a pocket of sin in Abraham's life that had not been dealt with. And I really believe what God is doing is before that he can allow Isaac to be born and allow these things to take place in Abraham's life, he had to root out the things in Abraham's life that need to be fixed before that could take place. And he does that with us. He exposes sin in our lives so that he can finally get us to the place where he can use us in the ways that he wants to use us. What we see first is Abraham's, he had a faulty fallback plan. Look at verse 2. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So we already read in verse 13 how, how look at the end of verse 13. This is, the kind, this is thy kindness, which thou shalt show unto me at every place, whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. So Abraham and Sarah, they had a pact. They had a plan, and everywhere they went, as they traveled as nomads, everywhere they went, they would say, Sarah is Abraham's sister. Now, if you say, well, why would they have to do that? Um, Sarah's 90 years old. Well, it could be that Sarah was a, uh, was a geriatric bombshell. <laughs> it could be. I mean, I, it, I mean, I don't know where that, that was just the thought I had. I mean, she's 90 years old, but... Man, she must look like she's really young. We were told just of, when she was in her 60s, we were told that she was very beautiful. And, but now she's 90, and you would have to think that that isn't as much of an issue. Maybe it was. I think it probably had more to do with alliances. See, if you think about it, as a nomad, as a person that was always transplanting from one place to the next, then you would think that every time you go into a new region with new people and potentially new enemies, that you, you better be prepared for some alliances to form or you ought to be prepared for battle. And so if, if, Abraham, if Abraham had with him a marriable woman... I know this sounds um, strange, and especially in our culture these days, but it was a different culture, understand that. It was a different culture, period. I mean, that he had married his half-sister. It, it was a different culture. So when they go to a new place, if there was a marryable woman with the company, it would make him less of a threat because there was potential, a potential alliance with those around him. So you might say, politically speaking, this was a wise move. But I would say as a man of faith, why are you going around looking for alliances with people that don't serve your God? Because that's what's happening. 
He's, he's looking for ways that he would go into a new place and not be considered a threat. And so his way of doing that was to make Sarah a marryable part of the company. It was a survival strategy. It was, they were nomads. They were wandering from place to place. Their pro, the problem is it was just a fallback plan and it was a bad idea. And most of our fallbacks are bad ideas. A fallback plan is, in, in case, is a plan you use in case of an emergency. The problem is that utilizing a plan that leaves God out of the process will never end well. Any time that we take matters into our own hands, instead of leaving them in God's, we guarantee failure. And you would think that in this situation that God would come to Abraham and confront Abraham, but he doesn't, he confronts Abimelech. Look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman that, which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, I don't know about you, but if God came to me and said, You're a dead man for this, I would be, I'd be shaking in my sandals. I mean, this got Abimelech's attention. Look at verse 4. It says, But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not, said he not unto me, um, she is my sister, and she even herself said, he's my brother, in the integrity of my heart, in innocency of my hands have I done this. He says, I had no idea. Are you really going to destroy our nation for something I wasn't even aware of? I am innocent. They said they were brother and sister. And verse 6 says, and God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst in this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife. For he is a prophet and he shall pray for thee and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shalt surely die. Thou and all that are thine. God says, I know that you're innocent. I know that you didn't know they were brother and sister. And, and that's why I prevented you from touching her and sinning. And if you will restore her to Abraham, I'll let you live. And if you don't, you're dead. So pretty easy choice, you know. He, very clearly, uh, it, it's cut and dry. What's interesting in all of this is Abimelech, we're, we don't have any reason to believe that he's a saved man. Uh, he's probably an unsaved pagan king. And yet he fears God enough to obey the word of the Lord. And he does. They, they obey, they restore, they, 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 it says in verse 8, therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning. He didn't wait on it. He rose early, he called his servants, and they told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. And Abimelech and his men, they fear God. Interesting. And then he calls Abraham out. And he comes and says, why would you do this to me? Why would you, why would you do this? You've done things you shouldn't do. You talk about convicting. Here's a lost man telling the man of faith, God selected man out of all the earth that he's wrong and, Abraham, and Abimelech was right. And we see though in Abraham's responses here how his thought process was skewed. And, and I want you to, I'm going to give you three principles from Abraham's response that I think could be a help to us in our thought processes. Because sometimes, you know, you're, we're all going to face emergencies. We're all going to come up to problems that we don't know how to fix. And if you have the wrong thinking about the problems, then you will have the wrong solutions for the problems. Here's some faulty fallback and how it was built on faulty thinking. Number one, the principle of Abraham is that he allowed his problems to become bigger than God. He allowed his problems to become bigger than God. Are we paying attention or are we awake this morning? Just making sure. 
And I'm not necessarily just looking for amens, but let's, let's focus in and we'll get through this this morning. He allowed his problems to become bigger than God. Look at verse 10. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, what sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham, well, first, I'll just stop at that question. I love his question. What were you looking at? No, what caused you to, to come here? And what, made you, what did you look at that made you think that this was a good idea to lie to me and put my, my people at risk? And, you know, it's a great question. It's like a question you might ask your kids after they, I don't know, this may sound pretty specific because it happened, I don't know, after they painted the carpet with fingernail polish or something. It may have happened in our house once. What, what were you thinking that, that made you think this was a good idea? That's what Abimelech is, is asking. What were you looking at? He says, what was in your view? And I think it's pretty clear that Abraham was not looking at God. See, when you look at God, the problems seem small. But when you look at the problems, God seems small. The bigger your God, the smaller your problems. The bigger your problems, the smaller your God. And that's what he's doing. In verse 11, I mean, we know that based on his response, that he's not looking at God. Look what he says. Abraham says, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. See, he, what he essentially says is he, look, he came to this situation and said, nobody here fears God. And so he comes to a new place with new threats and new problems. And instead of looking at God, he's looking at the people around him. And he's looking, he says, well, they probably don't fear God. And, and they don't fear God. And that one definitely doesn't fear God. And that's in his view. And he assumes nobody in the story fears God. But if you read this story, the only people in the story that express fear of God are Abimelech and his people. Abraham doesn't show any fear of God. So he's not looking at God, he's looking at the problems. And it's interesting that Abraham wasn't afraid of, for Sarah's sake. Look, at the end of verse 11, he said, he, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Interesting. Abraham wasn't afraid for Sarah. He wasn't thinking about what this would do to Sarah. He wasn't thinking about the promised seed. He wasn't thinking about if she's given to another man, that that compromises God's plan. Think about that. There's a promised seed coming. And if Sarah goes to another man, then that seed has been compromised. He's not thinking about that. He's not thinking about Sarah's safety. He's not thinking about his testimony. He was only thinking about his life. So he comes into this situation and he's not looking at God. He's looking at the people around him and how they don't fear God. And he's looking at his own life and he's afraid that his own life will be taken. He's not looking up. He's looking around and he's looking in. But listen, when you are faced with an emergency, you can either focus on the problem or you can focus on God. Life is full of problems. And if you, if you haven't discovered that, then I want to hang out with you for a while. Not because I want you to see my problems, but because I want to see what a life without problems is like. Problems never go away. And if you're not careful, you will get in the habit of seeing the problems as big and God as small. Your health problems become bigger than God. Your bills become bigger than God. You're like, amen to that one. 
that person in your life that you can't get along with, either in your family or at work or wherever you go, that person becomes bigger than God. That besetting sin that you just cannot seem to overcome becomes bigger than God. But can I remind you that there is nothing greater, there is nothing more powerful, there is no one more that is wiser, and there is no one more loving than God. And there's literally nothing that he can't do, that he can't handle, and there's literally nothing that he doesn't want to handle on your behalf. And when you're faced with a big problem, and some of us in this room today are, you've got a massive problem, and you've got a massive emergency, you've got something that's weighing on your mind, that's the time not to focus on the people around you, or the problem, or yourself, but to turn your attention to God, because compared to God, every problem is small. Abraham had countless examples of how God has provided for him and his family over the years. And yet one look away from God and to his problem caused him to operate like God, his God had no power. Stop looking at the problem and focus on God. It will keep you from resorting back to your fallback plans. Principle number two. Abraham focused on things that weren't true. Abraham focused on things that weren't true. Look at verse 12. And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Now listen, it, while it is technically true that Sarah was his sister, it was the half truth. And the most important detail in all this is that Sarah was his wife. The culture, I know it was different then. And that's not the point. The, the point is Abraham left out the most important detail. And you, you probably have children like this, maybe you're like this, but there are some children that when they're relaying a story or they're relaying an interaction or a con conflict with their sibling, they always seem to leave out the most important details. Well, I was just sitting there and, and, and she came up and, and she hit me. <laughs> and they forget to tell you that right before that, you threw a songbook at her head. I don't, my sister literally did that to me one time, so I'm just kind of popped up. So, you know, I mean, we, there are people, and uh, we do this, we leave out the details. But I heard somebody say that a half truth is a whole lie. You know, it says when, you, when you're make, making a vow to, to be a witness in court, what do you say? The, whole, the truth, the whole truth. And nothing but the truth. In other words, there's no room for a half-truth. A half-truth is a whole lie. And listen, in your life with God and, and the problems that you face, you, if you don't focus on truth, you'll find yourself resorting to a fallback plan. Meaning, sometimes, you know, we can lose sight of what's true and we miss the details. And when we do, we stop trusting God. Think about it. Just one chapter before, Abraham had seen God rain fire and brimstone down on the cities of the plain. He had watched God judge Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins. And you know he had to think, wow, what a God I serve. The next chapter, he comes across a king and he says, tell him you're my sister, tell him you're my sister. He's already lost sight of the power of God because he's focusing on a half-truth. And we might think it's silly, but we do the same thing. And I'm asking you today, Christian, has God saved you? 
if he loved you enough to save you and his blood was enough to cover you and, and declare you justified so that you stand redeemed, why would you be convinced that he doesn't love you enough or can't take care of you to walk you through a trial that you're facing? Tony, your sin is so much a bigger problem than a health trial or a finance trial or a relationship issue or something that you've going on, you've got going on. If God can save you from your sin, he can walk you through a trial. And you might say, well, but God must not love me because I'm, I, I'm going through a trial. But wait, God never promised a life of ease. He promised he would never leave us or forsake us. So yes, you're not promised that you won't ever go through a trial, but you are promised to have somebody that always walks in, the, in it with you. Amen. And not only that, let me just tell you this, and for those that think that God's not fair for allowing trials to come our way, um, let me remind you that Jesus Christ, his son, suffered greater than any of us ever will. So he doesn't ask us to do something he wasn't willing for his own son to walk through. He loves you, and if he can help your sin, he can walk you through whatever you're facing. There's enough grace. Listen, if we, if, we, if we do face difficulties, we always have his grace. To only focus on the fact that you have difficulties and not focus on the promise is to focus on a half-truth. Yes, there are difficulties, but I also have his presence. And if you will go into a trial and you forget... Okay, yes, there's a trial, sure. But you forget or you look past the fact that God has promised to walk through it with you. You know what you'll do? You'll start coming up with your own plans. And you'll start coming up with a fallback. And you'll start coming up with your own solutions. The truth of God, of who God is and what God can do, it might sustain you in your dark, it must sustain you in your darkest times. If you lose sight of what's true, you're going to lose your way. Jesus said, I, and, and he said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Without truth, you will find yourself uh, in bondage to your own lies. And self-deception has destroyed countless people. And you think, well, I'm not, I'm not self-deceived. No, that statement is a part of self-deception. You see, part of your fallback plan when you're faced with pressure and trials and emergencies is to convince yourself of things that aren't true. I mean, that, that's what we do. One of the reasons you need God's word and you need God's house is because you need a constant reminder of a, as a balance to, of truth in your life. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And I know our culture doesn't like to hear that. And the culture wants to convince you otherwise. But you are your own worst enemy. And your heart is deceptive. And listen, you have not only that, you have a culture, day and age, in which the prominent messages out of Hollywood and the prominent messages from the media are anti-God. I just saw a video this week of a group uh, of men, uh, the, the gay men's, uh, San Francisco men's chorus, and they're literally singing a song, We're Coming for Your Children. And even if it was tongue-in-cheek, it is representative of what the culture is trying to do to our families. They, the, Satan is not just sitting back and he's okay with it whether or not we've tripped. No, he's coming for us. And we, that's the culture. That's the message of the culture. And you need something in your life to balance that. You need truth in your life, not half-truth, but the whole truth. 
And for you to think that you can manage yourself in a culture that feeds you lies and from a heart that constantly feeds you lies and yet you think, I don't need to read God's word every day, you're self-deceived. For you to think that in a culture of feeding you lies and a heart that's feeding you lies that you don't need God's house and you don't need the teaching and the preaching of truth to help balance that, you are buying into lies. Listen, I don't, I don't tell you that you need to come to church just because it benefits me as the pastor. I'm not, I'm, that's not my, my motivation at all. My, my, my motivation is that you need truth or you will be a casualty. You ought to be in your Bible every day and you ought to be at church every time the doors are open. You need truth. You ought to want to be around God's people. You ought, to, you ought to need that accountability. You ought to want the accountability. You, you need that encouragement. You need a voice of truth to counter the deception. And if you come, uh, part of Abraham's faulty thinking was that he was focused on half truth. And he wasn't focused on the whole truth. Principle number three, the third problem in his thinking is that he made God part of the problem instead of the solution. Abraham made God part of the problem instead of the solution. And the phrase I want to focus on here is verse 13. And we do this subconsciously too. Look what it says. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house. That I said unto her that this is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whether we shall come. Say of me he is my brother. But did you notice that phrase? And he said. It says and it came to pass when God caused me to wander. From my father's house. You know, I, I don't know about you, but that language sure does to me sound like there's a hint of blame. When God caused me to wander from my father's house. Abraham wasn't saying, you're right, I made a mistake. This was all me and I made this choice. No, he says, well, God was the reason I had to, you know, leave my father's house in the first place. Abraham is the sinner here. Abraham is the one with limited knowledge. Abraham is the one who has a problem in his heart that must be dealt with. It's not God's problem. And listen, when you face an emergency and you come up against something you're not sure how to deal with, it, it, God is not the problem. What's interesting is even if God had put Abraham in this situation, he was using it not to destroy him but to expose him. He, and it sounds cruel, but that's no more cruel than if you go to the doctor because you have an issue and that doctor tells you the truth of a diagnosis. He's not being cruel just to rub it in your face. He's telling you something so that you can fix it. And God does that with us. And he, he allows us to be put in situations that expose our flaws. And it's not because he's mean, it's because he loves us. Whom the Lord loveth, he what? He chasteneth so that we know where we have failed him and we know where we need to get things fixed so that we can get better and we can ask him to help us fix these things in our lives. God uses those difficult circumstances to expose us. I mean, James says that the trying of your faith worketh patience and let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Meaning that God uses the trials in our lives, not that he sends all the trials, but he allows those to be used so that we can be exposed for what we are and we can be fixed from what we are so that we can become what we are. Perfect and entire, not sinless, but complete. 
but mature. That's what God wants to use when the difficulties come. But God had to get Abraham to the place where he finally dealt with the fallback. To finally acknowledge that his plans were not better than God's. And as long as Abraham had a fallback plan, he was not fully trusting God. And God can't use us to our full potential and we, until we trust his full provision. God can't use us to our full potential until we trust him in his full provision. Meaning that we completely surrender and trust. God had big plans for Abraham. But he had to bring him to the point where he was no longer trusting in a fallback. He had to fix his faulty thinking. And Abraham had to stop allowing his problems to be bigger than God. And he had to focus on truth instead of lies. And Abraham needed to stop blaming God for his problems. All of that faulty thinking caused Abraham to, to not trust God in this area of his life. And it held him back. He needed this lesson. And it reminds me similarly to the Surfside Florida condo. If you read about that in the news, Surfside Florida, there's a condominium, a tower that, that collapsed a couple weeks ago. And it collapsed, I think, at 3 o'clock in the morning. So most people were in their beds. Hundreds of people, um, they were missing for a, a, quite a bit of time. And they finally started, uh, they've changed it from search and rescue to recovery and and they've begun recovering bodies at a higher rate. But hundreds of people died. And part of the problem was that uh, on, above the parking garage was the pool deck. And of course the pool deck holds a lot of weight because of all the water. And, and it was it, apparently it was engineered or designed incorrectly. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't strong enough to hold the weight of the pool deck. And, and for years people have seen cracks in the parking garage underneath it and water dripping and there would be standing water in the parking area underneath that pool deck and it had been that way for years and, and they have people come and look at it and they say it needs to be fixed but they, they kept putting it off. And finally, eventually, that tower collapsed. Hundreds of people inside. I mean, hundreds of casualties. And it reminds me, it's a terrible story. I, I hate the fact that it happened, but it really does give us a spiritual glimpse of when we trust our plans. You see, Abraham's faulty thinking, if you imagine these principles in his life, that these are cornerstones or they're bricks that he's building on. Uh, the first would be that, you know, he says, well, my, my problems uh, are bigger than God. And, and, I'm, and I've got, I'm focusing on, half-truths and, and lies instead of truth. And then I'm blaming God for my problems. Those are faulty thoughts. And those, those faulty thoughts are, are like bricks or foundations that are weak or cracked. And so you, you build your solutions on top of those thoughts. But your solution is built on faulty, a faulty foundation. And therefore your solution will collapse. And it's because we have faulty thoughts, we have faulty thinking, and faulty thinking always leads to faulty solutions. And what we need to do instead of focusing on faulty thinking is go back to truth and have our, our solutions built on truth. Because God's truth never collapses. 
God's truth is firm and strong and it never changes. And yet here's Abraham, the man of faith that needed to learn this lesson. His solution collapsed. And it not, didn't just affect him, by the way. Abimelech and all, it says everybody in his country, they, their wombs were closed. And God had to, Abraham had to pray, and then God had to go and open the wombs again. So listen, his faulty solution didn't just affect him and Sarah, it affected all the people around him. That's how bad our plans can be sometimes. Listen, we all have fallback plans. Abraham's was this. You know, you've seen the signs. In case of emergency, lie. In case of emergency, lie. And you say, well, I don't have an issue with that. Well, some probably do, though. In case of emergency, lie. In case I, I'm caught in my sin, lie. But it may be something else for you. Your fallback plan, something like this, in the case of hurt feelings, get critical. Because that happens a lot in churches. In the case of depression, eat. I love to eat. But some of us, our fallback plan is when we're depressed or we have a problem that we can't fix, rather than go to the source of truth, which is a foundation you can build on, we turn to something else like eating. And it's a faulty solution. In, case, in the case of, of disagreement, lash out. Maybe that's, our, that, maybe that's our fallback plan. In the case that you don't get your way, pout. Withdraw. In the case of confrontation, get defensive. In the case of emergency, worry. In the case of fatigue, skip your Bible reading. In the case of tired, skip church. You know, in the case of, of anger, call your wife a name. In the case of frustration, yell at the kids instead of train the kids. Do you see how this is the truth for all of us? We all have a fallback plan. And we all have situations that trigger in us responses. And those responses are built on faulty thinking. And the faulty thinking will always lead us to faulty solutions. And the faulty solutions will always end in destruction. So we have to go back to the very beginning. And instead of focusing on, well, I don't want to respond that way, so I'm just going to walk away. Well, that's great. Take 10 seconds. That's a good idea. But before that, go back to your thought process and fix the thought process because the thought processes are the foundations upon which the faulty solutions are built and the faulty solutions lead to the destruction. But we have to go right back to the foundation of what we're thinking incorrectly before we can fix all the other responses. See, as long as we think incorrectly about God, we will not fully trust God and therefore will not be used in all the ways God wants to use us. I know it's a long CIT, but it, but, but it's, it really sums it up. As long, a CIT is a central idea of the text, by the way. As long as we think incorrectly about God, we will not fully trust God 
and therefore will not be used in all the ways God wants to use us. So listen, if you, do you want to be used by God in all the ways he wants to use you? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, all around the room. You know what needs to happen? You need to fix your thinking about God. You need to think accurately about God so that when you're faced with an emergency, you trust him for his solutions instead of yours. So what faulty thinking is keeping you from fully trusting in God's provision for your problem? What's the faulty thinking? Is there a problem in your life that's become bigger than God? I'm thinking about salvation this morning. We've got a group in here, a good group of people, and I'm thankful for it. But I don't pretend to think that every person in here knows if they died today, they'd spend eternity in heaven. And for some people, you, you think, my sin is too big. But let me tell you this, Jesus Christ paid for all of it. And he can change your label. And he can call you redeemed. That's right. But you have to place your trust in him. And your thinking about God has to change. You say, God could never love me except that God loved the whole world. Say, God doesn't care about me. God loves the whole world, friend. God can't forgive my sin. Jesus Christ died for the whole world. Listen, every answer to all the, all the contentions you have about God can be answered in John 3.16. That's why they hold it up on banners at football games. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Without God, your destiny is perishing and being separated from God forever in a place called hell. But Jesus Christ came to die because God loved you enough to send him. And he died on a cross for your sins and you can be saved this morning. Amen. Listen, you have to fix your thinking about God. And you're thinking, well, I need to work my way to heaven. No, you cannot work your way to heaven. That's faulty thinking and a faulty solution. Christian, if the blood of Jesus was enough to pay for your sins, do you really think there's anything in your life you can't handle? Anything? I mean, are you like Abraham and you've got an emergency and you're, you're come up with this plan and say, like, okay, this plan sounds good. And you're kind of con trying to figure it out as you go. And yet God the whole time says, wait, my truth is right here. I have the solution for you right here. Have you gotten so turned around that you're focused on things that aren't even true? God doesn't love me. God can't handle this. He, I'm just destined to be this way. I'll never change. They'll never be reached. No, half-truths are whole lies. Have you put yourself in a position that you've stopped hearing truth? Meaning that you're not reading your Bible and you're not making church a priority and you've got resorted to your fallback plans. And listen, just tell me how they're working. Have you made God part of the problem instead of part of the solution by blaming him for your situation? Let's put, lock in here. We're almost done. Know what situation you're in. Listen, uh, I don't know what situation that you're in. But I can tell you this, the answer is found in, in God's word. And that's the only solution you can trust. You say, well, I'm pretty wise. I've got some street smarts. Except that God, Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 15, that those things, which I read this last week, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they, are, they defile the man. So in other words, you know what your problem is? Your problem is not what you face and it's not the issues and it's not things around you or people around you. Your problem is a heart problem. You carry your biggest problem around with you. And until you fix your thinking, you are limiting God's usefulness for, for him. 
And as we adjust our thinking, it's, it's when, when it comes to the problems that we face, we, we, as we adjust our thinking, then we begin to fully trust him and we learn the lessons that we need to and then we can finally be used in all the ways he wants us. Listen, the very next chapter, guess what happens? Very next chapter comes a baby. His name is Isaac. And they've been waiting for a quarter of a century to see little Isaac born. But God needed to get Abraham and Sarah to the place where they would fix this little pocket in their hearts before he could finally allow them to become all they were supposed to be. So when things go wrong, what's your fallback? Have your problems become bigger than God? Have you stopped focusing on things that are true? And have you assumed God is the problem instead of the solution? And as long as you have faulty found, a faulty foundation, you will always come up with faulty solutions that are doomed to collapse. But trust in God establishes solutions built on a foundation that will never fail. Amen. And if you will live a life on this foundation, then you can enjoy all the blessings God wants in your future. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.